0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Taliban, and Imam Imran Akram. How are you feeling today, Imran?
1: Good, peace be upon you as well and uh, yeah weather is quite cold today right?
0: yeah you know what? i felt that and uh, i don't know if you've, you you hear the difference in my voice currently is <laughs> going lower and lower by an octave yeah. so uh, yeah it's that cold weather i've had this cough since coming back from hong kong mm-hmm. uh, and believe you me it's not covid i've already done a covid <laughs> test um mm-hmm. so i think uh, yeah it's the onset of winter mm-hmm. and i have felt th- this week although it's only just monday uh, over the weekend, it mm. just seemed like uh, you know, just a couple of degrees difference, but appreciatively, it's felt colder.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two, three uh, days ago, it well, it was uh, okay for me, but now it's uh, it is colder for me mm. than for lots of people, and especially the you know the rain and mm. uh, the mixture of uh, cold and rain. Mm. I really hate it.
0: Yeah, it's it's not the best mixture, yeah. but you know. Uh, Onto different fields. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm talking about the Khalifa Stadium in Qatar. uh, Venue for the first uh, match for England. So it was a very good result for England. uh, 6-2 against Iran. And I believe uh, Group B uh, has England, Iran, USA and Wales. So USA and Wales play later on this evening, I believe around about 7 Mm o'clock. So uh, we won't talk about... The issues regarding the Qatari uh, World Cup, Uh, I'm sure that'll come in later shows because it's uh, quite a long tournament. But, you know, our thoughts go towards, obviously, you know, the England football team and uh, uh, to see that uh, they can, you know, get as far into the tournament as possible. But, you know, I think they've got a good chance. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: What's your bet? Um, Although Although we're, you know, Muslims, we don't <laughs> bet, but it's just a saying. Well, yeah, what do you reckon? Who do you reckon? I is think uh,
1: weather-wise, there? because there is hot weather there, yeah, and, uh, and the European te- teams are, you know, um, very acclimatized uh, mm-hmm. of the, the weather, so I think Brazil.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. You know, well, everyone says Brazil. Everyone says Brazil—the <laughs> beautiful game. Mm-hmm. But uh, without further ado, let's uh, jump into our show today. And as usual, we uh, deal with you know quite sensitive subjects. Yeah, what what topics are we uh, speaking about or uh, discussing today? So
1: Mark? in the first hour, we're discussing um, prisoners, um, rehabilitation or retribution. And then the, in the second half, we'll be discussing about um, suicide and those who are left behind. So these are the two topics we are Mm -hmm. going to um, discuss. So uh, just to give you the introduction uh, about the first topic. Mm -hmm. um, So um, prisons exist for um, three main reasons that we talk about today, including protection, punishment, and rehabilitation. Though last year in 2021, it was reported that Uh, 371 people died in prisons in England and Wales. Putting that in perspective, that is more than one a day, as there are uh, 365 days in a a year. Mm -hmm. So join us um, for the next hour as we discuss whether prisons are helping with the reformation of society or just a place for individuals to be failed by the society and learn about the rights Islam has given to prisoners. Mm. Um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, said, "O oh men, you still have, you still have in your possession some prisoners of war. I advise you, I advise you therefore to feed them, and to clothe them, and to give them. Uh, pain or trouble can never be tolerated. So this is the a small um, introduction of the topic. Mm.
0: Uh, and as as we look at, say for instance, uh, the prison system in the UK." Uh, currently you know uh, a snapshot let's say a snapshot to see how many people are actually incarcerated mm-hmm. uh, so this stood uh, within England and Wales at 78,536 people uh, mm-hmm. in England and Wales 7,500 in Scotland and 1,494 in uh, Northern Ireland now these statistics are from the uh, actual uh, are from the government's own sources mm-hmm. Um Now, in terms of, you know, we can ask the question, you know, are UK uh, prisons overcrowded? Now, although in their latest projections, the ministry uh, continues to predict a steady increase, it has revised the figure down, estimating that by uh, June of this year, the prison population will be approximately, in fact, uh, 85,800 with a maximum of uh, 90,900 so, you know, you can see mm-hmm. that uh the prison population in itself is growing. Now, with that, uh you know, no country, you know, mm-hmm. can can survive uh without some sort of justice system and laws uh in place uh to keep everyone safe. I mean, right. you know, if everyone were to run amok, mm-hmm. it would be just chaos, wouldn't it? It'd be rev- revolution all the time. So, you know that that system has to be in place and it has to have the will of the public to to perform Mm -hmm. right so that we i mean because everyone does uh well everyone that i know of wants to live in a a safe and secure society right Mm -hmm. so we have to follow the rules Mm -hmm. now according to the guardian britain has one of the most draconian Uh, prison systems in Western Europe. Now, as mentioned before, uh, over 370 people died in prisons in uh, England and Wales. Uh, And now this is the highest number that has been recorded to date. Uh, Furthermore, in the last 30 years, the prison population has increased by 70%. Uh, Prisons, uh, you know, are in their nature a dehumanizing place. And they create these, uh, you know, intense... uh, I suppose, areas, right, mm-hmm. whereby, you know, you can see these uh, flashes of violence because people are, you know, are are held um, incarceration, right? All right. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, there is a poor standard of mental and physical health care. Uh, within the UK system, we tend to ignore risk uh, warnings, fail to implement suicide prevention plans, overuse, uh, segregation and have a slow emergency response as well as high levels of neglect and despair now these are some of the problems that have added uh, or exacerbated this this toll of 371 mm-hmm. uh, people dying in prison uh, for example uh, an 18 year old mother gave birth on her own without medical assistance uh, whilst incarcerated uh, her child died, but there were no professionals present to determine if the baby was alive uh, when it was born or died beforehand. Now, this uh, is an example of the level of actual neglect which occurs uh, in our so-called justice system. Now, um, I, I believe His Holiness said something. Imran, yeah. Imran, so the
1: worldwide world leader of the Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, uh, Labi's helper, said, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, taught that prisoners of war should be treated with even greater care and attention that a person would pay to, to himself. So uh, the one incident which I, you know, uh, just come into my mind is that on the occasion of uh, the Battle of Badr, mm-hmm. uh, Muslims, um, you know, uh, Muslim captured some um, prisoners of war. And uh, the prisoners of war, those who cannot pay the ransom, the Holy Prophet, said to them and that um you can teach the children uh, to how to ra- read and write and that will be your ransom mm-hmm. now this this does not only show the importance of uh, education islam give give it also show that islam the aim of islam is to reform the prisoners mm-hmm. because in order to give the education you have to have education yourself mm-hmm. and uh, um, education actually um, especially the moral moral education mm-hmm. It it, it 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 does not only uh, you know give you this um, sense of responsibility, but it also um,
0: um, Benef- give benefits so- benefits society as a whole. Absolutely, ultimately. yes. Um, well, we're joined by our first guest of the day, Rob Priest. Uh, now, Rob is the uh, uh, commu- sorry communications manager for the Howard League uh, for Penal Reform. Peace and blessings be upon you, Rob. Thank you for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show.
2: Thank you. Good afternoon.
0: So we're talking about prisons and our justice system, and you know how do we perform uh, in the UK um, versus other other uh, you know other uh, prison systems? Now, can you tell our listeners a little bit uh, because you're 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 the uh, communications manager for the Howard League? You know what do the Howard League do, and uh, you know let's let's hear what you know what it's all about then.
2: Okay, thank you. So the Howard League is a charity, uh, and we've been going a very long time. We were founded back in 1866, so oh, okay. more than 150 years ago. And we were actually sort of founded with uh, one of the big reasons why we were um, came into in, in, into being was to uh, prevent capital punishment, and um, uh, we were successful in, in leading the campaign for that, but it took 100 years, and, and that's what we find with the criminal justice system, and reform of it is that it can often take a very long time mm-hmm. uh, to make progressive change but nevertheless the work is important and there's um a, a clear need for change um howard league works for less crime safer communities uh, and fewer people in prison and we do that in a variety of different ways we have uh, a legal team which provides legal advice and support to children and young adults up to the age of 21 in prison resolving Uh, problems and issues that they might encounter. We work very closely uh, with academics in universities uh, up and down the country and abroad, uh, working with them to better understand uh, what we're seeing in terms of what creates crime, what causes crime, and crucially how we prevent crime, and also limit the harmful impact of our response to crime, Um, and obviously prisons um, are front and centre. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that work, often, um, mm-hmm. and then we do things like this, where I come onto radio stations and speak a little bit more uh, about the work that we do, so we work closely with the media and we work closely with politicians to ensure that they have the uh, information and access to the evidence they need to make good decisions uh, about the future of the criminal justice system and the people um, within it
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um rob what is currently the big um biggest barrier for having justice and fairness towards prisoners
2: i mean there are lots of problems with the system and your uh, your your last interview um sort of shed some light on those uh, i think in summary we have a, a system uh, which is overcrowded and under-resourced mm-hmm. uh, we lock up more people in this country uh, than in any other nation in Western Europe, the prison mm-hmm. population has doubled since the 1990s, so it's now uh, well above 80,000. and the government has plans uh, to grow the prison population further to almost 100,000 mm. uh, by 2026. And uh, the challenge is that when you have overcrowded prisons, um, obviously there is a lot of competition for the finite resources that prisons can offer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, when there aren't enough staff to keep people Uh, occupied in purposeful activity like exercise, work, training, education. Uh, More often than not, they're spending very long hours locked inside their cells with nothing to do. Uh, And it's not uncommon for us to hear of people being locked inside their cells for 22 hours uh, with very limited access to to showers, to phone calls, uh, before you get to education, exercise uh, and training. And obviously that will... Uh, lead to growing resentment it can lead to tension it can in some cases unfortunately lead to self-harm and violence and I think the problem we have now is that there is a stated intention by the government to grow the prison population uh, even more as I say to almost 100,000 by 2026 but currently we're seeing time and again through official inspection reports that there aren't enough staff Mm -hmm. working on the wings in prisons Uh, to properly look after the people in the system uh, that we have so building more prisons when there aren't enough prison officers to properly look after the ones we currently have seems to me to be a a step in the wrong direction
0: Hmm. so really it would be more of a readjustment in the government system uh, instead of just uh, basically incarcerating maybe um, following a model Say, for instance, like, you know, Scandinavian prisons or the Scandinavian way, which is to uh, bring down levels of recidivism um, and, to, you know, kind of like inculcate those prisoners. And um, actually not to punish uh, so severely uh, as in having a prisoner or having someone uh, incarcerated for their, their crime, uh, obviously. You know, there are uh, you know major crimes like, for instance, murder, for instance, whereby that criminal or that individual is a threat to society as a whole. Um, yes, the punishment needs to be uh, of that order. But say, for instance, for more petty crimes, that uh, there should be a different system, maybe.
2: Well, I mean, the Howard League accepts that there will be a small number of people who require some uh, secure uh, accommodation for a period of time uh, in response to uh, very severe and dangerous um, offending. But as you've already identified, there are other countries not far from here who have recognised mm-hmm. that their prison population does not need to be anywhere near uh, as large um, as as we have in England and Wales, and mm-hmm. they recognise that, in actual fact, investment in other parts of the public realm uh, would be more effective in reducing crime, So rather than spending fortunes on locking up people for um, often uh, quite minor offences, that money could be better directed towards hospitals, housing, Mm -hmm. um, education, schools, universities, um, all the things that we want to see in our communities but also actually play uh, a vital and often unseen role in in preventing crime in the first place because ultimately that's what we want. Mm -hmm. Um, We can devote a lot of time and energy to retrospectively trying to put things right after terrible things have happened. uh, And we can feel better about ourselves by putting somebody in prison for a very long time. But it doesn't change the fact that a terrible thing has happened. And uh, I would argue that perhaps our attention should be on preventing that terrible thing happening in the first place and Mm -hmm. reducing crime, uh, preventing crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's what we campaign for um, at the Howard League. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very important that we um, look at what causes crime and how we reduce it rather than um, making matters worse by trying to um, um, punish our way out of the problem because that's unsustainable and other countries have realised this. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So, uh, Rob, finally, what's one big change your organisation would like to achieve and see moving um, forward in terms of judicial reforms and the treatment of uh, prisoners?
2: Uh, One big change. If I could be allowed two big changes, uh, I think I would probably... (laughs) We'll we'll give you a
0: freebie there, Rob.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think the government, I mean, the the first one is very straightforward, and that's for the the government to think again Mm -hmm. uh, about its current prison building um, program. Um, As I've explained, there aren't currently enough people working in the system to properly look after the 82,000 people that are currently uh, in prison uh, to build even more prisons and expand the prison population to 100,000. Um, is not going to work um, if you're um, you know, stretching resources as much as we currently are. So that would be the first thing. I think going forward and more generally, and this would have a, a, a huge impact, is to really sort of reform sentences. It's the elephant in the room, really. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of People talk about um, um, prisons and how they are, are inadequate, and that is correct, um, how there aren't enough people working in prisons. Uh, for the prison population that we have and that is correct Um, but ultimately how are we going to get prison numbers down uh, in the long run Mm. Um, cannot really have sort of lasting change in that respect without looking again at uh, who we send to prison and for how long and sentencing is a very difficult uh, juggling act Um, you you are trying to respond to a bad thing that has happened uh, and trying um, to deal with what is often a very emotional situation understandably uh and taking sort of arithmetic uh, as a response to it now
0: hmm. when, a, when a very it can't be a thing, binary kind of, be kind of like of uh, right. answer can it really
2: yeah i mean if, if if a bad thing has happened that has made a lot of people unhappy um to what intents and purposes is is is, is the difference between sending someone to prison for six years or eight years for instance you know far better for the bad thing not to have happened in the first place, and that's where our attention um, should be. And as sentences have got longer and longer, as they have in recent years, it has meant more people have spent longer inside the prison, Mm -hmm. and um, that has contributed to overcrowding. And the the crucial point is that when there is overcrowding, uh, as we've we've discussed, (coughs) uh, that means that there is more competition for all the various
0: Mm, the resources that
2: may be on offer inside a prison and so you find more and more people spending their sentences sleeping through their sentences lying on their bunks now Mm. that isn't what anybody wants and it's not crucially going to help somebody uh, turn their lives around and move on Mm. from crime and that should be our focus whenever we're looking to respond uh, to a crime is how can we take steps to prevent this happening again and Mm. nobody would suggest having somebody sleeping through their sentences in their bunks doing nothing mm, at all. Because it's not really That's helping them and it's not
0: helping helping society as a whole, really. Um yeah. but yeah. Okay, Rob, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for joining us on the drive time show today, Rob.
2: Very grateful. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Have a good day.
2: Goodbye.
0: O two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And just quickly, just a you know, we shouldn't And I think going back to the point, yeah, Mm -hmm. for those who have committed crimes, uh, severe crimes, they should be punished. And the severity of that punishment should be equivalent to the crime committed. And I totally take Rob's point. You know, it it depends on your perspective. Say, for instance, you're the victim of that crime. Mm -hmm. And depending on what that crime was, um, you might feel that actually, you know what, I want that perpetrator. I want that, uh, that person who's perpetrated that crime upon myself. Uh, to be incarcerated for a long time. So I think, you know, maybe we need to change that mindset. Yes, they need to be punished, but it should be that the severity of the crime uh, equals that type of punishment that is is meted out. Um, So, you know, as as he already pointed out, uh, Rob, that, you know, the treatment of prisoners needs to improve to limit the number of uh, these unnecessary deaths that are happening every day. And the focus is uh, on prisons, Uh, need to move away from punishment to more rehabilitation. Um, Now, in Islam, it states that the the system of making prisoners of enemy tribes without war and bloodshed practiced uh, until and even after the advent of Islam uh, is here made unlawful. Prisoners can be taken only from the combatants and after a battle. So if you bear in mind, when we're talking about these issues, we're talking about uh, over 1400 years ago, Mm Uh, but even in the heat of war, there was a very you know strict code that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, gave to his his followers regarding uh, you know the enemy combatants, mm-hmm. and they were to be treated in effect better than you know uh, you know the you know the, the Muslims themselves. He yeah.
1: said. Whatever you um, feed yourself, feed them. Yeah. And whatever you close yourself, close them. Close them.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, to join us in this conversation, we've got uh, our next guest. Uh, we're joined by Cameron uh, Jones-Spear and Rehan Mir. Uh, they are both uh, Switchback uh, spokespersons. Now, Kamran is a mentor and Rehan is the actual is a office coordinator at Switchback. Peace and blessings be upon you, uh, to both of you. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show. Uh, thank it's you and- salaam as- alaykum. So um I know you're both joining us, but what we'll do is we'll direct one question to each of you if you don't mind, right? Um now, uh let's start with Kamran. You know, can you, you know, introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about switchback and the work that you do there yeah, as a mentor.
4: Cool. Um, thank you, Sam I'm Cameron, and um, I'm a Switchback mentor, and I was previously supported by Switchback as a trainee
3: mm-hmm. over
4: four years ago um, after myself and myself inside and coming out. Switchback support young men coming out of prison to live life differently. We do that through one-to-one intensive support, so a person has a mentor that comes and visits them on the inside, builds a plan for release, and then follows through with that on the outside. Um, what we do definitely works because... Nationally, the reoffending statistics are around 50%, mm-hmm. whereas
3: for
4: switchback trainees, it's only 9% um, a year after they've been released being reoffending, and one in four of the, of the trainees that we work with are from a Muslim background.
0: Mm-hmm. Just quickly, Kamran, uh, yeah? is switchback a privately funded uh, charity or do you get any funding from the government?
4: Um, switchback is majority, I believe privately funded from donors and supporters that believe in the work and support what we
0: do. I think uh, Imran's got a question for Rehan.
1: Yes, uh, Rehan, if I may ask you, um, what are some of the biggest issues in the the criminal justice system right now that directly impacts the fair treatment of prisoners either during or after the time served?
5: Well, um, in my experience, I I feel as though The main issue that a lot of prisoners coming out of prisons are finding difficult with is the actual release process and Mm -hmm. the pre-release work that is being done on a one-to-one basis with you know a mentor and a prisoner i don't feel as though there's enough pre-release work as like when i was released i didn't have any pre-release work done for myself i didn't have someone to, you know, reach out to once I got out on the outside mm-hmm. however um, I was actually referred to switchback via one of the um, one of the wing staff members mm-hmm. so I was fortunate in that sense about a lot of the prisoners nowadays that we meet don't have that pre-release work done and they, they're they actually coming out of prisons um, struggling to find the support, having someone to reach out to you with you know whether it's a housing issue a financial issue or even if it's something simple as um getting um identification documents
0: mm-hmm. so just as a follow-up to that question uh mm-hmm. uh rahan i would have thought um you know obviously it sounds wrongly right uh or assumed that once, you know, uh, being a prisoner and you're incarcerated and you've reached the end of your incarceration, that when you are, uh, you know, let out, reinserted into society, that mm-hmm. the prison authorities would have some form of structure to reintroduce you, i.e., I- uh, well, for example, um, you know, some kind of work uh, program, some kind of, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, some inmates may have been uh, within the prison population for a long period of time so there's a lot of you know change in society from maybe when they first walked into prison to that point of them walking out so I just obviously wrongly it seems from what you're you're saying uh, assume that uh, prison authorities had that instruct or had that in situ
5: well in theory, yes, you should have that mm-hmm. support already pre-set up for you. Unfortunately, we even in my experience, we do not have that. Once you're released, you are given your probation details and you are expected to go there. And right. that is all you are given. Mm-hmm. In terms of with your, proba- uh, with your probation, if you thereafter sort out for work and stuff like that, it is one avenue to go down. However, with the amount of people being released, um, going on to, you know, going to their probation meetings and the overflow of prisoners that are coming out, um, I believe that even the probation staff are heavy handed at the moment right now. So Mm -hmm. you're probably not going to get that support that you need. And I feel like that also contributes to a lot of people going back to their old lives reaffirming and whatnot.
0: Mm, mm, That's a worrying thing to hear, really. Uh, Just a quick question for Kamran, uh, if I may. Now, do you think, Kamran, that uh, prisons currently have a good balance uh, between the actual punishment of people for their crimes uh, that have been committed uh, and actually uh, helping them to reform and re-enter society? So do you think the current balance is acceptable? Uh, within the prison system that there is this uh focus between or this balance between um punishment and re- uh versus rehabilitation or is there a skew there you know it's it's kind of like imba- there's an imbalance there
4: um i definitely think the balance is off as a lot of prisoners being released are the uh, in terms of rehabilitation side um over 50% of trainees that we almost 50% of trainees that we work with are released homeless. So their housing hasn't been sorted out Mm -hmm. by the powers at play and they haven't got a roof over their head and to expect someone to come out and not to go back to that lifestyle. They need that one-to-one support that um, switchback that we offer them and Mm -hmm. other organizations as well. But no, definitely not enough has been done pre-release and I believe we need to provide more opportunities to support people to live life differently. Um, For example, when this one-to-one support is in place, people are capable of things that they never even thought they were capable of. For example, um, one trainee that I've been working with, someone I've been working with, he went on to work with one of our partners and now is also working with Kursler Arts, So I think you had on the call earlier. Mm -hmm. He's now working as a host there, something that he could never have pictured himself doing as well as the other employment opportunity that we've, him into, um, I believe, yeah, that the balance is definitely off. And we need to be clear what prison is really for. Is it just about punishment? And like I heard your last guest say, letting people sleep on their beds for mm-hmm. the duration of their sentence or to support them to live life away from crime and live life differently.
0: Mm. But what I, I will uh, reiterate, I think Rob's, uh, mm. you know, previously uh, what Rob was like saying is that that, that is unfortunately the what actually happens because of lack of resources and the prison population growing that you know there's only so much uh education there's only so much say for instance nuts and bolts let's put it right like Mm -hmm. uh desks computers that uh prisoners can use and if that you know if the equation is that uh on the one side you've got you know Mm -hmm. people actually increasing uh in Mm -hmm. terms of the problem uh the prison population but you haven't got that requisite uh, increase in resources to, to to accommodate that. Then you know, unfortunately, what what has prison got to do? Mm, I yeah. think
3: it's yeah, it's
4: it's difficult. But like I said, I think a way to counter that is to have that support pre-release or even by probation, prison services. So if prison can't uphold their commitment to rehabilitate people, to have organisations and people in place that can support them make a change when they come out.
0: Mm. So would you uh, come around you know agree with I don't know if you heard what Rob was like saying uh, from the Howard League is that mm. you know maybe there needs to be a change or not even maybe but there needs mm. to be a change in the way that we think of uh, crime and punishment and rehabilitation uh, to stop uh, reoffending within this country maybe follow uh, Scandinavian uh, countries, like for instance Sweden and Norway, where they mm. actually have a very small—I think it's something like seventy-five. Uh, let me just see what the figure is because I don't want to just yeah seventy-five mm. per one hundred thousand people, right? Mm. Are incarcerated in Norway, and that you know, whilst they are incarcerated, they mm. are given uh, education programs, um, and you know they they know that. Actually, when they're in prison, they're doing something worthwhile. And like you said, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're doing things that maybe you never had the opportunity to do. Right. Um, Learning and progressing and, 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 you know, basically enriching yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So that when you actually come out, you don't feel that actually I don't have a choice. I have Mm -hmm. to go back to what I did that got me in here. But actually, I can just, you know, forge on and uh you know, try and you know f- you know live a better life basically right yeah. uh for society, so do you think you know uh that that should be actually where where we should be pushing this this conversation to
4: um yeah, I believe so, to an extent we're supporting people better, and also I think tackling the roots of crime and dishing out appropriate punishments and giving out the rehabilitation that should be there for all people. I know it's difficult, whereas we have a higher number, a much higher number compared to those Scandinavian countries. But if we are just locking people up, it shouldn't be for the sake of just locking them up and not supporting them to make the change or tackling the root of why they committed a crime in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rian, uh, what's
1: one big change your organization would like to achieve and see uh, moving forward in terms of uh, judicial reforms and the treatment of uh, prisoners?
5: I mean, well, what can I say? <laughs> I mean, definitely I would start with there has to be that one-to-one support because mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. even with our stats with what Cameron was saying just earlier at the beginning um, what we do actually works I mean 50% of leavers yeah. in the national rate reoffend we have 9% reoffend mm-hmm. those who are trainees uh, within switchback so these are all the people that have had you know the one-to-one support from prior to their release and whilst they've come out of prison And that support continues even after they've um completed the program so the proof is there that it does work and we just need to keep basically going on and pushing into more prisons and you know trying to get the message out there that you know life doesn't have to go back to what your reality was like there is that possibility of change
0: Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you both, uh, Kamran and Rahan, uh this afternoon on the much. Drive Time Show. Thank you very much for joining us, guys.
5: Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a good day.
3: Cheers.
0: Yeah, bye. 208 or tweet us at VoiceOfIslamUK. Uh, I believe we've actually got a Instagram story yeah. uh, out there, uh, Imran.
1: Yeah, so um, we asked a question uh, on Instagram that uh, um prisons should focus on um reformation or punishment and then and ninety eight percent said that uh on reformation, and only two percent said uh, on punishment, so that shows you know the natural tendency of human being that you know um uh, the human being the 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 core principle of the punishment should be uh reformation of the of the human and uh, that is why you know you asked the question and uh, to i think uh uh Rahan or Qamran, mm-hmm. that um our sh- our our goal should be uh to reform a person and not to give him you know the the punishment and that is the very uh, fundamental belief mm. of the islam as i mentioned you know as you mentioned as well that sh- there should be education system uh that uh, that uh, and that will be there uh to uh, to reform them and uh in my personal opinion you know uh, if you teach uh, the prisoner the the moral uh, conduct of every religion, mm-hmm. what are the moral values of human being, and what uh, what are the uh, rights of human to mm-hmm. each other, then I think in that way um, um, you can um, reform um, person. Uh, because th- in my opinion, spiritual knowledge um, removes the ignorance and restore the virtue. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, the the education programs uh, will be there and. Uh, one more thing which I need to mention is that um, in the Holy Qur'an, there's a verse that, you know, جَزَاءُ Sayyatin سَيِّتٌ مِّسْلُوهَا فَمَنْ آفا عَلَى اللَّهِ And that the translation is, and the um, recompense of an injury is an injury, um, the like thereof. But those who forgives and his act bring about reformation, his reward is with Allah. Mm-hmm. So this is the um, very basic, uh, you know, principle of Islam, and the real object underlying the awarding of punishment to the guilty person, according to Islamic teaching, is his moral reformation. Uh, if forgiveness is calculated to do him um, some good moral, uh, he should be forgiven. But he should be punished if punishment is likely to lead uh, to
0: his um, reformation. Mm. That's the. That's I think the, what we're trying to say there, or well, what Imran's trying to say there, is that. Obviously, you know, depending on the crime, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be murder, rape, uh, you know, a real kind of like, uh, in terms of a physical crime, uh, theft of property uh, that leads to destruction of Mm -hmm. society, a destruction of you know, you know, your livelihood. Right. uh, Then obviously there needs to be some kind of punishment, yeah, which you know merits that crime, Mm -hmm. but. You know, if we look at uh and I think I I've kind of like pushed the Scandinavian <laughs> uh model. Yeah, right, but you know, just some stats, yeah. In contrast, in Sweden the role of uh prisons is not to punish but uh but to deprive uh criminals of their freedom, mm-hmm. right? So that in itself is punishment enough when I'm you sorry. don't uh and okay, so this wasn't quite the same thing mm. but In my personal experience, Mm -hmm. uh, I traveled back to Hong Kong last year and I Mm -hmm. was... uh, I had to have... um, Basically be in a hotel room Mm -hmm. for for 14 days. I wasn't allowed out of that hotel room. Not for one hour, one minute. I was Mm -hmm. stuck in a 15 meter square room. So yes, I got three meals a day. Mm -hmm. But I had no freedom to go out. So in a sense, I can emphasize with how that feels Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and you know you can imagine the mental um you know the the mental kind of like woes that you go through being alone okay i was i had a phone so i could speak to people outside i had a tv so i could you know watch stuff right but can you imagine if you are incarcerated in a smaller cell uh and you're there for 22 hours of the day you don't get to see anyone else right Mm -hmm. the you know the mental issues that you must be going through yeah the mental health problems that you must be going through uh that even if you were you know quite well to do right not quite well to do but quite mentally well to do by the end of 10 years of that Mm -hmm. it's going to have taken its toll on you right so you know this scandinavian model i mean even in some prisons in uh, sweden actually resembles a dorm room structure uh, where people have uh, access to television and, in fact, family visits. Uh, Similarly, in Norway, the justice system has a focus on restorative justice that focuses prisoners on stable or becoming stable contributors to society in the future. Uh, Prisoners can learn a new skill and take part in classes uh, such as yoga to help create a peaceful and safe environment. Uh, rather than the violence that we hear about uh, in our prisons today. Now, countries that use systems like this have shown a statistical decrease in inmates reoffending and increases the change uh, or the chance of these uh, individuals integrating back into society. Um, now, when we're talking about rehabilitation, uh, what are we, you know, focusing on? Uh, Imran.
1: Yeah. So the idea and the end goal of um, prison is for rehabilitation of those who enter the system and help them integrate back into society. And though this is often questioned, as the focus of the justice system is more on punishment than anything else, mm-hmm. and the uh, imprisoning hardship uh, on prisoners <laughs> may remove may uh, removing um, them for society and helping them understand how their action affect uh, you know other. People uh, mm-hmm. and it is very important for the for the rehabilitation process and to allow prisoners to enter society after serving their time. But it seems that the idea of rehabilitation has been lost along the way, mm. and the government has um, published a document called the the Prisons uh, Strategy White Paper in December 2021, where um, the aim uh, the aim to reform and uh, rehabilitate prisoners to. Um prevent uh, from um, reoffending and keeping the country safe. So the key um strategy strategies um, from this uh, includes the following cutting edge technology um, will be used to um, have a zero tolerance on drugs and uh, comparing to the society we see um, you know um in airports and and other places and uh, putting plans in place to help offenders uh, recover from drugs and alcohol addictions, teaching prisoners basic numeracy and uh, literature um, 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 skills and reading and educational skills, as well as having a new um, prisoner education service to train up offenders with um, vocational skills. So I think there there is um, now um, government is trying to put mm-hmm. a system where uh, they really uh, need to focus on... Uh, but on I, think, re- I think the
0: problem is that, you know, their white paper, mm-hmm. it's like an idea. It's like a hope. It's right. like a dream, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the reality is, as Rob uh, Pierce uh, was saying, Priest was saying earlier on from uh, the Howard League, mm-hmm. is that, you know, we're looking uh, in the next couple of years to have a present population around about 100,000, oh. right? And there's not enough actual uh, prison officers mm-hmm. to you know safely administer and look after oh. those inmates, right? So it's quite you know, quite easy on the one hand for someone like Dominic Raab, the justice minister, to right. say, right, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. But actually the, the the reality of it on the ground is that you're not doing any of that. Right? right? right. You know, because you're increasing the prison population. Mm-hmm. So unless you increase as Rob was saying, you increase the prison population fine, but you need to increase the resources to actually help these inmates to, you know, to rehabilitate and come back into society. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we've got our last guest of the day regarding uh, this topic. Uh, We're joined by Kat Gambiter. Now Kat Gambiter is a prison consultant for Reform and Rebuild. Uh peace and blessings be upon you Cat. Thank you for joining us on the drive time show today.
6: Hi there. Thank you for having me.
0: What a great name you've got. Cat gambiter <laughs> Yeah. <Thank> uh, I, <laughs> can I just ask where, where where does you know your surname come from Gambita?
6: From Italy. It's right. an Italian surname. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah excellent. My
6: great grandfather was a Italian footballer, uh okay. Gambita, so you can Wow, Google him, yeah,
0: Leon Leon Gambiter, right, yeah, okay, and um, did he play for the national side, or
6: he actually played for a few teams, um, so you can probably find the history of him on wiki, mm-hmm. so um, but it's uh. An uncommon name in the UK.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I know. I, it's just uh, it, it's kind of like stuck out to my eye. But we're we're kind of like, or oh, I'm I'm leading the conversation <laughs> elsewhere. We're talking about prisons, and you being yes. a uh, prison consultant for Reform and Rebuild. Now, can you just tell myself and our listeners a little bit about uh, uh, Reform and Rebuild and the work that you do there? Yes.
6: So um, I'm the founder of Reform and Rebuild, and what our overall long-term aim is is assisting um, long-serving prisoners, uh, predominantly those who are serving life sentences. Um, but that isn't just exclusive to that line of work. We work with other prisoners and their families, um, offering them information, support, advice and guidance to navigate the prison experience. Um, So, you know, it has many branches, but overall, it's um, the long term focus will be to campaign for the reform of life sentences Mm -hmm. and to, um, you know, encourage the government to fulfill um, prisoners time inside constructively Mm -hmm. if it is in fact that you know, a lot of people will now be spending their lives in in prison, as we see the as we see the long serving prison estate grow. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh-huh.
1: So, Kat, um, you know, some people may find it difficult to see prisoners um, as anything um, other than criminals. Um, do you think um, uh, we as a society need to shift our mentality in this regard?
6: Yes, I do. You know, I think the society has become very unforgiving Mm -hmm. and are no longer optimistic that people can change but also that you know people don't really look um at the story behind the story which may have led someone to lead a life of crime or you know what what I think happened as well is that when we look at the prison estate, people automatically assume that it's one size fits all mm. and that every person who must enter those gates mm. um, must be, you know, from the same um, ilk, so to speak. Um, but actually, if we look at our prison population and the statistics um, behind it, a lot of these prisoners now are you know, traumatised individuals who may have had a traumatic upbringing through various reasons. A lot of people now have extreme mental health,
3: mm-hmm.
6: um, which can be sort of um, an unconscious catalyst behind maybe bad decision-making, which they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do <coughs> believe... Sorry.
0: No, no, that's me, sorry. <laughs> Carry on, Kat.
6: Yeah, so I do think that we have pretty much become a society that isn't necessarily forgiving, but I also feel that I you know, prisons aren't on the public's agenda. Um, and we don't really give prisons the attention that they deserve. Mm -hmm. the bigger picture Mm -hmm. and the fact of the matter is is that people will be leaving prison uh, at some point or other and you know they will be your neighbors and Mm -hmm. you will be walking amongst them so it's in the best interest for prisoners and everyone else to invest in people and to help them change i don't think it's any good um you know to just Be unforgiving without Mm. giving people the tools to try and help them turn their lives around.
0: Mm -hmm. So, my next question, actually, Kat, uh, I think you've pretty much answered there. So, do you think that the current prison system in the UK uh, is designed to rehabilitate uh, those who are incarcerated, or is it simply, you know, in terms of those who are incarcerated, uh, a form of retribution?
6: Well, I do think that the scows tip towards the latter, and solely because if you speak to people in prison mm-hmm. in most honest opinion, they will tell you firsthand that the system isn't working. And I think that you know the country and um the politicians who implement tougher on crime, Legislations that that see people in prison easier and longer we know that prison isn't working um the statistics for reoffending prove that and i think that we have to look at that the proof is in the pudding um and i think we've almost come to a place of blind leading the blind within Mm. this prison system and what i think has happened is that Prison hasn't got a definitive purpose anymore, and even though we use the label rehabilitate, and that should be the core feature of prison, there Mm. actually isn't any design behind that to Mm -hmm. deliver rehabilitation. Um, For the most part now, as we know, prisoners have been um, secluded in their cells for the last what's approaching three years. Mm. Um, and we haven't really seen the re-implementation of education um, or resourceful uh, activities being rolled back out. And so I think that it I don't think it's that prisons don't want to rehabilitate. I just think it's They that, just don't have the
0: resources, do they?
6: They don't have the resources or mm. the funding to do it any well at at all and also what's happened i think that we just leave prisoners for the most part in unproductive cells and everything now has become so paper-based in exercise for for prisoners Mm. and so everything is sort of dealt with in cell and um so that is you know in cell packs Mm. for those who have phones in prisons to utilize you know to utilize what you have in your cell basically to try and rehabilitate yourself and i just think that's a really um poor way to deliver any rehabilitation to anyone mm,
0: i totally agree with you kat well it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon kat uh, thank you for joining us on the drive time show
6: thank you so much
0: thank you have a good thank
6: day you too Bye.
0: O two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, I'm going to play uh, our listeners out there a audio clip from Mirza Tahir Ahmad, the fourth khalifa of the uh, um, uh, well worldwide uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, and if you listen carefully, you know this is you know regarding crime and punishment and the view that Islam takes upon it.
7: Now here we come to the modern age and I come to a question which is agitating the minds of Europeans so much nowadays or the Westerns generally. Should we uh, st- should we accept the penalty of death as a civil behavior or as a brute behavior, a brutal behavior of, of, of uh, uncivilized man? Why must we practice hanging or death by other means of criminals who have killed others? So why not behave more civilized and you know, soften your attitude to the criminals with regards to their punishments? Now, what to forgive and what not to? Where to, forg- to stop forgiveness? and where to begin it. uh, These are the fundamental questions Mm. which have to be answered by a book which claims to be universal in time and space. Mm. So the Holy Quran speaks of this issue. First of all, uh, it says that if somebody has been transgressed against, against, it is his right to uh, repay the transgressor exactly in the same coins but a, not a jot more than that. Mm-hmm. It's a very severe condition laid on it, on, on, on people, because generally in the you know, in, in the emotions of revenge, it's very difficult to stop exactly at the, at the line where <coughs> to up to which you had been transgressed. Mm-hmm. But the Holy one says only per, you are permitted to take revenge if you can afford to do this. No more than the injustice committed against you. Secondly, it says, Waman for But whoever forgives, provided that his forgiveness results in reformation, his reward will be with God. It is much better. But the provision is so important. If forgiveness Encourages and promotes crime, then, according to this perfect teaching, forgiveness is not permitted. Mm-hmm. If it promotes reformation, then of course you can't withdraw the right of revenge from a small minded person, but he is informed, informed that God loves those who forgive, provided their forgiveness results in reformation. Mm, very interesting yes. yes. Now, this is exactly the requirement of human nature, which simply no man can improve upon. Mm, mm, mm. That's what I meant by the statement that when a teaching is related to human psyche and takes into account all the possible aspects of human behavior, then of course that teaching becomes timeless. Mm. It can't be changed.
0: So those were the words of uh, Mizar Tahir Ahmed the fourth khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community regarding crime and punishment. So what else can we say, Imran, regarding uh, 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 prisons in terms of Islam?
1: So, uh, you know, the best thing according to Islam is to let off um, prisoners without asking for ransom. As this is not always possible, Um, Mm. reasons um, by ransom is also provided for. There's a um, provision for um, prisoners of war who are unable themselves to pay and uh, who have uh, none who can or will pay for their release. Often relations um, are able to pay but do not um, because they are preferred to let their... Uh, relationship remain prisoners so the the focus of the as we discuss and they show the focus of islam is not a, on a punishment mm-hmm. uh, but on uh, the rehabilitation and reformation of as a human being mm-hmm. this, is, this is the focus and as i mentioned uh, in the case of battle weather
0: mm-hmm. and um, with that that brings us to the five o'clock news join us after the five o'clock news where we'll be talking about suicides you are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Asalamu alaikum, peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. So we've just uh, in our first hour spoken about prison um, in the UK and how, you know the issues regarding that. So in our next hour, we'll be talking about suicide uh but mainly for those who have been left behind and as a precursor to this uh we should advise um our listeners out there that uh if you uh, yourself or you know of people uh, who are having suicidal thoughts or undergoing uh you know mental uh illness regarding this yeah uh, there will be resources in the middle of the program where we can refer you to Uh, And, you know, always, always, um, you know, talk to someone, right? It's never too late. Talk to Mm -hmm. someone. So uh, that's just, like I say, a precursor to this uh, part of the program. So, you know, when we're talking about suicide and those who have been left behind, now losing a loved one under any circumstance is an exceptionally difficult thing to navigate through. But losing a loved one by suicide is actually beyond devastating uh the remorse the struggle to understand and come to terms with such a loss is huge Uh, on the 19th of november or the 19th of november marked the international survivors of suicide loss day a day that brings together those bereaved by this type of loss to comfort heal and support now uh islam pays much attention to human emotions uh And regarding grief, Allah Almighty has repeatedly provided us with words of comfort and healing in the Holy Quran. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 156, Allah Ta'ala says, And we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits, but give glad tidings to the patient. So, you know this verse, Imran, what is that actually, you know, what is the commentary behind that verse then? so i think um
1: you know hope is something uh, which allows you to see uh in the future and i think uh in this verse allah the almighty um says that you know this world is not about living comfortably this is your trial and uh and this is a trial actually and if you pass the trial the the glad tidings that the fruits are will be for mm-hmm. you in the life here, yeah, hereafter. You
0: have to be patient. Yeah. You have to be patient. Now, according to the WHO, the World Health Organization, around 700,000 people take their own lives each year globally. Uh, is the fourth leading cause of death amongst uh, 15 to 29-year-olds. Only in the UK, over 5,000 people took their own lives in 2022. Uh, and surprisingly, out of that 5,000, uh it's quite a high proportion of that 5,000 are uh, young men. Mm. So that's another worrying uh, statistic that we're, we're, we're met upon in the UK. Now, this raises the question, you know, if there wasn't sufficient help available to those who are actually in despair and took their own lives, yeah, um, would there be any support then thereof for those who are in mourning? Now, if not, there is a mental health crisis which cannot and should not go ignored because... You know, for those people who have committed suicide and, you know, kind of like left this mortal life, mm-hmm. they leave behind a network of family friends. And I'm sure uh, there must be questions uh, from those friends, from those uh, family members. And, you know, who's, you know, who's supporting those people?
1: Absolutely. I mean, um mean, um uh the people who left behind it is really difficult for them you know um, they have so many thoughts and what have we do- um what, where we have gone uh wrong or mm-hmm. what could we have you know could have done to save a specific person so I think, um, yes, of course, it's it's a, it's a more havoc on the people who are left behind. Mm. Uh, and as you mentioned, mm. um, it is obviously the one who committed suicide. Mm. Um, he's gone. But um,
0: I mean, the weird thing about, uh, I say weird, right? Mm. I don't mean weird in any funny kind of way. But since we're talking about suicide and those people who are left behind, mm-hmm. it actually brings to mind something I saw literally maybe four or five days ago. Mm. And uh, I'm not sure if, Imran, you're you're familiar with Dan Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Walker uh, was primarily a sports uh, commentator for the BBC. But he also presented, I think, some morning news programs. Mm-hmm. And he was relating to, um, and I can't remember the anniversary of it, but relating uh, to his friend, Gary Speed. Now, Gary Speed used to be a Leicester, uh, sorry, not Leicester, a Leeds United footballer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd literally, the two of them had done an interview, Hmm. right? Uh, For whether it was for for some sports program on the BBC, I I can't remember. But Dan Walker was relating it. He's like saying, you know, I was there with Gary. Uh, We'd literally, uh, Gary was like talking in his natural way uh, to the cameraman. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that they both shared some, uh, whether they'd gone to the same primary school, you know, they were just like you know chatting normally. Oh, mm-hmm. do you remember such and such the teacher? Uh, then subsequently, they had the interview. Gary said, "Oh, okay, uh, fine, we're done." Uh, Dan, uh, Dan Walker says, "You yeah, know, we had a really good interview there. Yeah, you know, I'll call you uh, next week, maybe sometime, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go for a game of golf." And unbeknownst to him. Uh, Gary Speed took his own life. Wow. So uh, I can't, you know, for the life of me, remember. It wasn't that long ago, right? But uh, he left behind two sons wow. who were devastated, right? I'm mm. just wondering, but why?
1: I mean, um, you never know what what is the uh, what is um, behind the smiling faces of the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what they are going through in their life. So um, that is why, you know, um, in today's society, we're so, so much, you know, busy in our life and especially, you know, in social media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're so much uh, become uh, as a, you know, worldly person mm-hmm. that we don't really... Selfish. Selfish, yeah. yes. And that we don't, you know, really pay attention to what is happening around us. And uh, we sometimes forget to ask the people how they are feeling. You know? Yeah, it's just so, simple.
0: Yeah. I, I think... Uh, even the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, says, you know, there's the, f- the first form of charity, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, because you are an Imam, <laughs> right? Uh, the first form of charity is to do salam to someone.
1: Absolutely right. right? Yes, yes.
0: And so for us, salam is just to bid someone good day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be, you know, in any language, you know, hello, chow, nihoma, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you know, aslam wa uh in Islam. And just that one thing, if you can think of that as being a small charity to your fellow human being, as you're walking down the street, yeah, that could, you you don't know, you don't know, but that could change the complexion of someone's day completely. Absolutely. yeah.
1: I mean, there's there's other saying of the Holy Prophet, uh, in which he say that, you know, putting a smile on another person is a form of charity as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you always um, have to have... Um, uh take care of other people in the society and especially you mentioned that incident uh, which amazed me that you know the person is absolutely feeling um, yeah. right and then soon after you know you know literally you know, the next
0: day yeah. um it was announced uh on the news that gary speed had taken his life okay. uh and you know that that's just you know you're going about your normal business and then something as devastating as that happens it it it, it shakes you to the core. But uh, to talk more about this, we have our first uh, guest of the day uh, regarding this, Andrew Airy. Now, Andrew is one of three uh, dads walking. Uh, he himself is a suicide loss survivor. Peace and blessings be upon you, Andrew. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today.
8: That's uh, all right. And please don't call me Andrew. That's get, I get worried when anybody calls me Andrew. That's that's. Uh, so would you uh, prefer Andy? Andy, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, when I hear Andrew, that makes me sit up very straight. Actually, <laughs> well,
0: I, I don't think I'm old enough to be your father, Andrew. No. <laughs> but anyway, we won't go there. We won't go there. So Andy, um, you know, three dads walking. So obviously, mm. this is some kind of like play on words with uh, dead man walking, I believe. Right?
8: Oh no, you know, I would never thought of that.
0: Oh, okay. So I'm wrong then. Totally wrong. Wrong area. No,
8: no. Yeah, it was. No, it really was. Um, when we were, when we, Tim, Mike, and I got together mm-hmm. um, with uh, with Mike's idea of, of walking across the country to show that suicide can happen to anywhere, mm-hmm. any family, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the it was the name that we just came up with. Cause it just, it kind of just does what it says on the tin. We are, we are just <laughs> it's Ron Seal. It's yeah. like Ron Seal, yeah? It was, <laughs> yeah. And so it, 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 it seems to have absolutely nailed exactly what we're trying to do. And I, th- I think the fact that it's three dads as opposed mm-hmm. to, to, to women talking right. about emotional stuff seems to have kind of captured people's imagination, which has um, uh, been brilliant, actually, to get a, a very positive message out there. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, Andy, um, you're working on a petition to have suicide prevention a compulsory um, part of the school curriculum mm. what are some ways to have a healthy conversation about self-harm with our kids and what do you think uh, is a good age to have these discussions?
8: Ooh, two really good questions mm-hmm. the first thing I've got to say is we are not suicide prevention experts we are just three dads mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and like um, every... Um, family that gets touched by suicide, you, your life turns on its head, you, you, the your world's shattered. Um, but we, the three of us, decided we, separately, we decided we would have to find some way of doing something positive. Um, by a fluke, we found each other and then ended up going for this walk. And along the way, we've discovered an awful lot of things. Um, of which we would never have expected to know other than the fact our girls took their own lives mm-hmm. then the critical the critical things um, in terms of um, If you're worried about somebody if you are worried that a loved one of yours is having suicidal thoughts the worst thing you can do is ignore it
3: mm-hmm.
8: Mm-hmm. Um, So you've somehow you've got to address the situation and the way to do that is if that's what you seriously are worried about ask Ask them ask them directly are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you thinking of taking your own life?
3: Mm-hmm.
8: Uh, and ask them a couple of times um, just to make sure that the answer you get is the right one. If the answer is no, we could you could then talk about what why you were worried and mm-hmm. see where that leads. If the answer is yes, well then you've got something to work on. Mm-hmm. And the critical thing there is to know that you don't need to sort the problem yourself. There are loads of organisations out there that are able to help. Uh, and actually, just talking about how you feel will help that person. um the thing thing we're all, with us, uh, the three of us um is after we lost our daughters, um like many suicide bereaved parents, we found out that these suicide prevention organizations exist. And we've all fallen in with a, a, a charity called Papyrus, Prevention of Young Suicide. They mm-hmm. uh, were wonderful, absolutely wonderful people. Um, and they they run a thing called Hope Line u k. Uh, which is there to offer advice and support either directly to people who are feeling suicidal themselves or in many cases advice to people who are worried about what you want. So I would advise your listeners, if they are worried about anybody, take a look at the Papyrus um, website and mm-hmm. uh, see the advice you get on there. Mm. So that so, was the, that. Was one so the other question he asked was how how young?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good age to tackle that uh, question because it's it, an awkward, it's an awkward enough question as it is anyway.
8: Yeah, well, it is talking about suicide is really hard. Mm. It's a very difficult subject. It's a it's a very painful subject. Huge amount of taboo um, surrounding, it, massive stigma in talking about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: But um, I hate to say this, um, I would rather talk. I would rather have talked about suicide and had a very difficult conversation with Sophie, our daughter, Mm -hmm. than than, uh, had to address um, uh, or to to deliver a wake at a funeral. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to have those conversations. But in terms of age, the youngest person we came across on the the two walks we've done, who'd taken their own lives, was eight. Wow. Mm -hmm. We came across, on this last walk, two families of 11-year-olds who taken their own lives. Wow. So what we've, again, I've got to stress, we are definitely not experts in this, but mm. we've come across lots of experts. Um, the, the, the critical thing with our young people is right from junior school, we need to start talking and addressing um, and teaching help-seeking behavior. So it should be part of the normal teaching process uh, right from from the very the f- very first time young people walk into a, a school the a, a kids walk into a school mm-hmm. so i like, saw so that four upwards we should actually start to train them in help seeking uh, so it becomes normal that if they find themselves in a tough situation uh, in the future whatever that might be it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to be about suicide uh, suicidal thoughts but the natural reaction is to ask for help rather than internalise and, mm. and try and sort themselves out.
0: And they ignore it. So, exactly. So, Andy, you know, you and you, the, your your two other cohorts, right, mm. uh, did a walk back in 2021 and this year as well yeah. to raise this awareness for suicide. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what was the actual idea? Because, like, you wouldn't have thought, you know, just walking would be, <laughs> um, well, it's not the go-to kind of like thought, really. Uh, to 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 you know maybe balance off what's happened to you.
8: <laughs> well, it and uh, for me, my, 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 I being, live up in Cumbria. Um, right. Okay. So, so you've got
0: I, plenty I, of room to walk then. Oh yes. <laughs> I
8: spent I spent my life on the Lake District fells really. Mm-hmm. So my my um, my first thought um, uh, of a way of, of actually relaxing is to go out get out and go for a walk, and so I'm very aware that being active in the outdoors is so positive for your mental health, mm-hmm. it really is, it's just something I've always done um, but no, the, it was it, it was Mike's idea, and it was this idea of, of walking between our houses um, to indicate it was a, a, it was a national problem Was the, on the first walk, and we thought, well we could raise a bit of money doing this just as a as a, as a, um, a, a sponsored walk mm-hmm. um, but off, off the back of that, I might, I've Got um, a good friend of mine. Actually, works for the BBC. Alison Freeman, who's a, a reporter based in Newcastle, and I said to Mike and Tim, "I'm sure Alison would help promote what we're doing." Mm-hmm. Literally, they realised that her first reaction was, "Do it was I'm sure we can get this on BBC Breakfast wow. uh, TV," okay. uh, which is what she did. From um, small acorns,
0: do great oak trees grow?
8: Yeah, and it was just <laughs> this. It, but it was this simple idea of three dads. Walking mm. in memory of their, their daughters and talking openly about suicide and suicide prevention It just really struck a chord. So instead of raising uh, 3,000 pounds each as we, we planned to do or we started to do um, The first walk actually raised do oh, over 600,000 pounds. Wow for papyrus Wow uh, and amazing. So and just loads of people got behind it. So that was what happened the first time around but on that walk, we spoke to so many suicide-bereaved <laughs> parents. Every, every day we were speaking to suicide-bereaved parents. Mm-hmm. And they were coming up to us saying it was only after their young people died that they found papyrus. And it was only then that they discovered that suicide is the biggest killer of young people in the UK. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, why didn't nobody tell us? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why are we not talking about this? If, if suicide is the biggest risk to our young people, mm-hmm. surely we need to talk about it.
0: And but that, it's like that, that white elephant, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's a white elephant in the room. You just don't yeah. talk about it because you don't think it's, it's going to happen to you, your family, right? Yeah,
8: it's somebody else's problem, yeah. It's always
0: somebody else's problem.
8: Yeah, mm. and, until it lands fair and square in your family. Mm. And off the back, so off the back of the, that walk and those conversations, we contacted the government um, to see what they were doing about it. And we got a pretty rubbish response from the Department of Education. But we then had an invite to speak to the department... Health, um, Julian Keegan who was then there as the Minister, which was very um, caring very thoughtful in a uh, conversation and um, said that she would actually um, try and engage with the uh, colleagues at the Department for Education Hmm. and obviously then this year (laughs) the political world has been a bit bit of a mess now (laughs) since that meeting It's it's all Uh,
0: change all change
8: over there Um, and it Prompted us to to get up and go again, really, to mm-hmm. to, to refocus people's attention. Um, and so, we'll, the second walk, we decided we would walk between the Parliament buildings of the UK. So, starting in Northern Ireland at Stormont, mm-hmm. then then we actually flew across to Edinburgh to, to go to the Scottish Parliament, then walk the whole way through Scotland and England into Wales to uh, the Senate at uh, Cardiff, mm-hmm. and then across to Westminster. Just to try and rattle the cages of the decision makers, really, mm-hmm. and then off the, to, to to reinforce that we've we set off uh, we started a petition on the government website uh, that just says um, we want to get suicide prevention added as a compulsory part of the school curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, and the first aim is to get ten thousand signatures, uh, which which uh, means the government then has to respond to write a written response. Mm-hmm. And then the next threshold was 100,000 um, signatures, which means that it has to be considered for debate in Parliament. Mm. Um, and as things stand, uh, we are at 150,000 signatures.
3: Mm. Mm.
8: Okay. And it's the third biggest petition uh, on the government website.
0: Mm. most movies are after uh, people electing for a general election but you know I don't, top, I don't yeah. really want to I don't really want to <laughs> stir there really <laughs> no, Andy that, that yeah. is the top yeah. yeah that is the top <laughs> one yeah. but anyway I think Imran's got a, a final question for you Andy mm.
1: so Andy I mean and through your courage and campaigning many have found comfort and hope what message mm. would you like to give uh, them today
8: uh, hope is the word there is hope out there mm. um, it's too late for us and our families. But there is help out there. If if you are worried um, about young ones, reach out for help. Find Papyrus and contact them. Or if you as an individual uh, are suffering from suicidal thoughts, do not do it alone. Your family and friends love you and can help. Reach out for help, whether it's to people you know or some of the many organisations out there who can offer support. There is hope
0: hmm excellent well said Andy uh our thoughts go out to you and your fellow walkers or your two fellow walkers um and you know it's been a pleasure uh speaking to you today on this very kind of sensitive topic. Thank you for joining You're us welcome. on the drive time show thank you thank you have a good day andy well,
8: thanks bye 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 bye
0: or tweet us at VoiceOfIslamUK. And some of those numbers that we were talking about, uh, if you yourself have got or know of uh, someone who's got suicidal thoughts or, you know, suffering in in that way, um, there's a few helpful numbers for you. Uh, There's CALM, which is the Campaign Against Living Miserably. Uh, That's 0800-585-858. Uh, Samaritans, obviously, uh, you know, long time supporter, uh, of these things. One, one, six, one, two, three, uh, even the NHS one, one, uh, you know, dial one one one, and you can talk to someone there. Um, also what Annie was like talking about, uh, some websites for you to, to, to get onto, uh, papyrusuk.org or sane, S A s-a-n-e dot org uk or suicide prevention uk that's s-p-u-k dot org dot uk so never be in any doubt that there isn't anyone out there to listen to you right if you are feeling alone uh, you have got suicidal thoughts and you know life can be oppressing at times right um sometimes you just look out and you see the weather and you just think my god it's so gray and depressing right <laughs> um and you just you just do have these thoughts yeah that uh, idle in your brain and then they manifest themselves in something as bad as actually taking your own life ultimately mm-hmm. but never go uh, never never think that there isn't someone out there to speak to regarding this and to help you out of that that hole that rut
1: Absolutely, Correct? absolutely. I mean, you very well put there. Um, you know, at times you have uh, negative thoughts in your mind, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes you cannot think about everything, and you have to suppress your thought in a way uh, and think about the future. You have a you have a future coming, uh, mm-hmm. and and I mean, um, Andy, yeah, as Andy said, hope is the word. Exactly, it's um, hope, isn't yes, it? Yeah, hope,
0: you f- yeah. you you just think of hope, mm-hmm. even if it's something as. And I'll tell you, although I, you know, I've never had suicidal thoughts in my own life, mm. I remember I had a near-death um, experience. In fact, I had to be resuscitated. I drowned. I had to wow. be resuscitated. And one of the thoughts the very next day uh, after that that happened to me, I was brushing my teeth. Something mm. as mundane as brushing your teeth and thinking, oh, my God, this is brilliant. <laughs> I'm brushing my teeth. Because, you know what? Mm. I could If I hadn't been saved out mm. of that ocean, uh, the Atlantic Ocean... Uh, off of France, then, yeah, I would not be here presenting with you, Imran, to start <laughs> off with, right? But, uh, yeah, right. just, yeah. you know, if you do have those, and it is very easy in the modern world now, you know, although we are connected by social media, um, smartphones are amazing things, mm-hmm. but actually it doesn't feel like, you know, we're different. I, I, and we are so lucky, actually, Imran, right? Because we're part of a community, a Muslim community, which is like a brotherhood, Absolutely. right? Uh, and we have a leader uh, in uh, his holiness to, to give us advice regarding you know the smallest issues, even if they are regarding mental health, right? Um, and to advise us as, as to how to, to, to live our lives and to, to just basically uh, re-inculcate in us those values, uh, which as Muslims, and I say not just primarily as, as Muslims, yeah? But even if you weren't a Muslim and believed in Islam, if you believe in two things, and um, the one thing is that, yes, there is a creator, number one. Number two, that actually, you know, your, 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 your credo, your your reason for living, right, is to do your best for your fellow human being, then you're not going to go far wrong.
1: Absolutely. You, you put beautifully there. And I think I've got, we've got color. Yeah, exactly.
0: Sorry. We'll go to our next caller or sorry, I should say our next guest. uh, So impolite that I am. But uh, we're joined by Susie Clifford. Now, Susie is the uh, service manager at Hope After Suicide Loss. Peace and blessings be upon you, Susie. Thank you for joining us on the drive time show.
9: I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah,
0: so we're talking about uh, suicide, but in terms of those uh, who are left behind, whether they be family or friends of, you know, you know, the grieving family and friends. Now, grief, in itself, is a complex emotion. Now, how is bereavement by suicide loss, if anything, different than any other form of grief?
9: Well, it is very, very different because it's the only death on the planet planet, where the person has died by their own hand. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. for those left behind, of course, that's an emotional mountain to climb, you know, all the questions, all the unanswered questions and the, the guilt. So we can have guilt in all loss, but after suicide, the guilt will be directly linked to that last act. Mm-hmm. And then look, they they have a higher risk. We know this to be true of um, developing PTSD if they find the body, or if indeed um, their imagination can be worse than the reality, so they can develop p- or risk at developing PTSD years, several years after the suicide. Um, and they're also at a greater risk. I don't know if people are aware of that. A greater risk of being. Um, of taking their own lives in the
0: first twelve months after suicide. Oh, really? Okay. So, you know, Susie, does it does you know the grief that you feel after a suicide, uh, whether it be a friend or a family, does it follow the kind of like the tradition? Oh, well, I say traditional uh, uh, kind of like mode of grief. So, when I say tradition, I mean like you you have different stages of grief, right? Um, you know, first there's denial, then anger, maybe uh, bargaining. Uh, then depression, and then finally acceptance. Does it actually follow in this uh, circumstance as well?
9: Uh, Not really. I Mm -hmm. think it's misunderstood because it is a traumatic loss. So for us, uh, it would take perhaps a lot longer. So what a lot of people do, kind people who want to support those, read by suicide better perhaps they go back to their own memory box and think of somebody they've lost a loved one perhaps in a clinical situation mm-hmm. where the the death is i would say two words explainable and understandable
3: mm.
9: so for our loved ones those that come to hope have been profoundly affected by their loss and in the first year they may Um, not be able to get to their grief because they are so deeply in shock and traumatized. And one of the signs you'll know of that trauma is they'll get into that very obsessive thinking in a loop of thinking Mm -hmm. where they'll go over and over and over and over endlessly, um, rather like forensic detectives, Mm -hmm. trying to find every detail to make sense, going back into a timeline. So all that is very different to um, most other
0: loss. Mm, Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, that that, um, model of stages of loss was based on the, I believe, uh, the Kubler-Ross model, which was, you know, I think a study of 200 uh, terminally ill patients. So you can see the difference that they would have as opposed to what a uh, or, or in terms of their perception of grief compared to um, someone who's actually lost someone because of suicide
9: yeah yeah it, it's rather like um, we have a lot to learn I think society we tend to put everybody as a sudden death mm-hmm. but of course if you think of murder and suicide there is a point where one has taken their own life and the other has died by the hand of someone else mm-hmm. so there's, there are similarities but great differences as well
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Susie, um, grief often, you know, um, isolate people. In what way um, can friend or family support the survivor, especially if they are preferring isolation?
9: Yes, it, it, it may be. They're numbing their emotions, who knows? But it, the support, what I'd always say, the, the, the stronger emotion is always going to be love. We mm. we, we should be offering love, compassion, empathy, And to understand that they cannot fast-track this trauma, that it will take a lot longer. So touching on what I said before, it's to be very patient, to listen, not to make any judgments. And of course, in a practical way, there are things that we do cross over, as in all loss. It's really nice if people practically offer help for us you know take the burden of the 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 school run whatever it is you know um offer to cut the the lawn if it's summer you know whatever it is practically it's very helpful Mm.
0: so you know when we talk about um and i think you you mentioned it guilt as well right for those who are left behind i mean do survivors Mm uh you know face this stigma uh in the way that they have lost their loved ones I mean, how can, you know, that actually impact their own uh, journey through grief?
9: Um, Yeah, yeah, society still, I mean, it is, uh, I would say, the only... Death where they, where judgment is passed, mm-hmm. um, those that die, die by suicide. So, uh, if you if you can imagine, if somebody is deeply in shock and traumatised, and in conversation, somebody um, is intent upon passing on, if you like, their views on somebody that takes their own life, and um, that means that vulnerable person who hasn't taken their life, you know, they they perhaps feel that that isolates them because they're misunderstood they're going to be worried and concerned what the reaction is going to be um if they talk openly about their loss you know will people pass judgment will they say unkind insensitive or make unkind insensitive comments so it can be a real big problem
0: Mm -hmm. so also it's just for our listeners out there and for you know, anyone who is undergoing this kind of i suppose that, that that having suicidal you know tendencies or thoughts right you know for those family members and friends is there any kind of like i suppose there isn't a, a formula for you to detect that but you know are there certain i suppose uh kind of like things to look out for
9: well, you know, sadly, because we're post we're after the event, mm. we, it's so complex. I mean, it really is complex. Are there signs? Because if there were signs, then, of course, we would uh, ourselves. I was bereaved by suicide. I, I don't know if you or your viewers are aware of that. Yeah. I lost my husband by suicide. Okay. And I had no idea at the time that, um, you know, we're not mind readers. If this, If they don't share then um, it's very difficult to to work that one out. But I would say, going back to what I said earlier about many of our survivors can have suicidal thoughts themselves, there is a big difference uh, with having suicidal thoughts, I would suggest, and somebody who has a plan. Mm -hmm. So it's really finding out. I think it's like traffic lights engaging in that conversation, being brave enough to ask, have you got a plan? You know trying to mm. defuse that ban um, but some people when they're bereaved by suicide just don't value their lives mm. so that's vastly different and being allowed allowing them to talk freely is 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 really quite healing for them
3: mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. The, you know some um, sometimes people often you know struggle with speaking to someone who is bereaved by suicide loss what are some things to say and not to say when having a conversation with them?
9: Well, definitely um, avoid judgment. I mean, mm-hmm. there, were, there were those, um, I, I hope people wouldn't now suggest that he or she is a coward or should be ashamed mm-hmm. of themselves, but they were the kind of statements that we must not. I mean, it, it just it puts the survivor in such a bad headspace. It can be quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that outdated language, committed suicide, mm-hmm. I would hope most people are on board and they understand it comes from, in this country, the criminal system, and we want to get away from the idea that suicide is a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, insensitive questions, in fact. I mean, there's another one where people, some people, perhaps out of morbid curiosity, can ask you, do you mind me asking how he stroke she did it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's quite insensitive Mm -hmm. and quite unnecessary to ask those sort of questions. Mm. What should they do or what can they do? Well, I'd say keep it simple. You know, something like, I'm very sorry to hear your news or I know someone you can talk to. And, um, of course, we would be the people or one of the many organizations people can come to. Um, right from day one we're open-ended support so uh, they can stay with us for, as long as they need
0: to mm-hmm. so Susie I mean you know you, that leads me quite nicely on to my question which is you know at hope uh, you yeah, know, how do you help people uh, through this uh, period of loss then
9: well I would say first and foremost it is about love compassion and mm. empathy um, we offer um, a combination. Uh, we are um, peer-led and a combination of peer-led and professional support. So everyone who delivers this service at Hope has also got accredited training behind them. Um, it's open-ended support, so there's no um, pressure. To, you know, it, it can feel like pressure if you haven't. God, if, it's ty- if it's time, 12 weeks, you know, and you countdown, count down and after 12 weeks you're still feeling awful. But we offer a mixture of support and in uh-huh. the first instance we we like the person really to commit to and it's all about them committing to one-to-one because then we can focus on their story. Some survivors want to immediately go into groups but they don't always have the emotional capacity at the very beginning to listen to other trauma Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's wise if they focus on their own story and then go into the
0: group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Well, Susie, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today and talking to you regarding this quite sensitive subject. Thank you once again for joining us on The Drive Time Show.
9: Oh, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. So uh, thank you and all your viewers for listening.
0: Thank you. you. Have a good day. Bye now. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 208 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And when we talk about the bereaved, yeah, uh, mm. Imran, you know, every type of grief has the potential to cause intense and complex feelings. But, you know, the research shows that uh, people bereaved by suicide can have a particularly complex set of feelings and can experience additional struggles and dilemmas in trying to resolve their grief along with with mourning, there are always unanswered questions. You know, why didn't they speak about it, right? Uh, what went so wrong to trigger this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that guilt as if, you know, I should have noticed something in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, these feelings are often experienced, uh, you know, can include intense sadness, shock, frustration, confusion, and even isolation. Uh, some people also talk about experiencing a sense of shame, of uh, of guilt. Just now you know we spoke uh, regarding that with Susie mm-hmm. now there's hopelessness in wishing something could have been done to prevent their suicide or regret for having missed uh, for having missed any clues to their intentions or even anger for feeling uh, abandoned now many people grieving a suicide start to question the relationship they actually shared with that person, uh, wondering mm-hmm. why it wasn't enough to keep them alive or uh, compounding all this is that nagging question why why did they do this yeah uh and i think this is something that uh susie was like saying that um you're really in that uh that rut mm-hmm. yeah if you're a survivor that um well why can i have seen that mm-hmm. and especially if it's a close family member right yeah, absolutely
1: i mean um it's as you mentioned you know Um, that um, um, people have so many negative thoughts like you know what could have done and in in order to save um, a person and uh, uh, what what could uh went uh, in a right way and uh, i would like to you know uh, give um something uh, islam and suicide Mm -hmm. what islam's point of view um, on suicide and um allah the almighty states in the holy quran um, and not kill your um, your own self. Surely Allah is merciful to you. This is chapter 4, verse um, 30. Islam strictly uh, condemns the idea of suicide and Muslims have been given grave um, warning regarding it. And this is because we believe all life comes from Allah and uh, he is the sole being who has control over, over, li- uh, over uh, our lives and he alone can uh, give or take it. So causing harm to one's own self due to um, apparent hopelessness um, um, or maybe um, lack of faith or in Allah, um, in Allah's mercy. So um, this life, as a, as a Muslim, we believe that this life is temporary and full of ups and downs. And uh, so Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran, All oh my people, this life of the world is but a temporary provision and the hereafter is uh, certainly the home for permanent stay
0: Mm -hmm. well said there Imran so we're joined by our last guest of the day uh, Sarah Gere now Sarah is a uh, suicide prevention specialist uh, clinician trauma responder peace and blessings be upon you Sarah thank you for joining us here uh, this afternoon on the drive time show
10: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Sarah, we're talking about suicide, and not in terms of those, obviously, who have taken their own lives, but those who have been left behind, uh, those who are grieving. So why do you think, despite increasing mental health awareness globally, uh, you know, suicide rates are still high?
10: You know, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about suicide is that it's a multifactorial event. That mm-hmm. suicide doesn't generally happen for just one reason. It usually happens because several things have come together, you know, all in sort of wrong way. Like a tsunami, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I think as much as I wish I could give you one answer to that question, I think that there's probably a lot of answers. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I actually have been most interested in lately, believe it or not, is in the idea of the soul.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
10: Um. And the reason that feels really important to me, I've been doing some work and talking to people both in the field and not in the field about what what is the soul. And while there's some disagreement as far as whether or not the soul lives beyond death, um, where people do agree, almost universally, is that the soul is the deepest part of who we are as human beings.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: And mm-hmm. in my experience, suicide loss impacts us right down to our soul. And wow the The field of mental health has often not really talked about that or or acknowledged that. So I think that's why so many people do turn to faith when mm. they've had an experience such as suicide loss, because faith faith speaks to that deepest part of us. Mm, mm. Yeah,
1: Sarah, um, uh, do you think mental health issues have become a trend on social media, and um, that may diminishes uh, health for someone truly struggling?
10: I worry about it. Uh, You know, I worry about it in the context of the medical model, the idea that all struggles are due to quote-unquote mental illness, while certainly, at least here in the United States, there is no doubt in my mind that there is such thing as mental illness and that some people benefit greatly from medication and from therapy, but at least here in the United States, we seem to be putting everybody into that category. Mm -hmm. And for some people, I don't think that it is Necessarily a a mental illness, but rather something that's happening to the deepest part of themselves. And so the answers may be different than medication or therapy. They may be about reconnecting with family and friends, or reconnecting with their faith and spirituality. Mm, A more Uh, more of a holistic
0: approach, then.
10: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Right. Okay. So you know, do you think, or do suicidal people? Or exhibit any particular signs. I mean, I asked this of uh, our previous guest. Yeah. I mean, how can they be recognized if they can at all be recognized? Uh, And what steps should be taken to provide them with help if you, say, for instance, recognize some trigger points?
10: So one of the most important things that I talk about in all of my trainings is the value of of truly listening to each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, oftentimes people who are feeling suicidal despair, you know, they are telling people um, that life is unmanageable. Yeah, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And I'm (laughs) tired. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm in a lot of pain. And we often we hear it, but we don't really listen to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think The first most important step for all of us is to really listen to people that we care about and to to be careful not to try to fix their problems or, you know, minimize them or compare them, but really to to show up and listen to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think that that would be a really important first step Mm
3: -hmm. to Mm -hmm.
10: helping, Um, you know, and knowing what the resources are is really important. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So Sarah, how how can communities come together to establish and implement strategies for suicide prevention?
10: You know, one of my sayings is that all prevention is suicide prevention. So Mm -hmm. if we can Mm -hmm. prevent domestic violence, we're preventing suicide. If we can prevent sexual assault, we're preventing suicide. If we can prevent homelessness, Mm -hmm.
3: we're Mm -hmm. preventing
10: suicide because all of these things are risks for suicide. Right. And so I think one of the most important things is that those of us who are really dedicated to suicide prevention, we need to be reaching out to groups of people who are dedicated to other types mm-hmm. of prevention mm-hmm. and, and realizing that so often suicide is sort of the last thing that happens after a series of really sad things.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: Um, and, and engaging each other right now, again, at least in the United States, all of these fields are very siloed. And you know, you go to conferences, you see the same faces and the same, same topics all the time. And I think mm-hmm. we need to really be working together to bring as many community stakeholders together as, uh, and expand expand these silos, build bridges between them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, as a question regarding that, Sarah, I mean, in the U.S., uh, in the U.K., uh, we're just starting. Uh, I think in the last couple of years of having. This idea of social prescribing Um, and in terms of prevention is better than cure Uh, and it it has a dual uh, it's a dual purpose. It's relieving the uh, the pressure on the NHS, our our health service, uh, by offering more holistic uh, and um, non-clinical treatments regarding someone's health. Uh, whether it be mental or physical. I mean, is there something like that in the US?
10: You know, I don't I'm I wish I could tell you that I'm an expert on all the efforts here. I think mm-hmm. probably the closest thing based on what you're saying is the zero suicide campaign that's been really working to bring suicide prevention and health care together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there are people that are much, much, much better at speaking to that than I am. So I don't, I don't want to get myself in hot water. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Okay, but I mean, as as uh, okay, so let me um, amend that question. Would you think that that would be a better alter- or or a, a, a good alternative to just taking an antidepressant? Let's say,
10: absolutely. I, you know one of the issues that we run into here in the United States is, you know, what's billable, right? What you can bill insurance for and types of things. But the truth is, you know, when you listen to people, both suicide loss survivors and suicide attempt survivors, one of the common things we hear people say was really helpful was going to a psychic, right? right? So oftentimes the ways that people find healing aren't necessarily going to be in a doctor's office. While Uh for many people that is helpful, you know, I think we really do have to start thinking about the whole person mm. and, you know, and recognizing that sometimes it's depression and sometimes it's a normal and anticipated reaction to what's going on in that person's life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Because, I mean, I, I I find that as looking on Western culture now that we have become predominantly uh, a farm uh, or pharmaceutical uh society i e that you know pharmaceuticals have the answer for everything whether it be uh physical health or mental health but truly you know that's never seemed to be an answer really uh, and truly for myself uh, because you know your your brain has such a capacity, and is yet—I I don't even think that uh, the area of neuro uh, neuro neurosciences has delved into the depths of the the brain sufficiently to understand that actually just some chemicals can actually help you. Um, there has to be some kind of you know, um, let's say not not alternative. But some something which is uh, in uh, sorry, uh, compatible th- uh, therapy to help uh, with this type of um, you know, situation.
10: Yeah, I, you know, I really, from a lost survivor's perspective, I really agree with what you're saying. You know, speaking specifically about my best friend who died by suicide in 1998, mm-hmm. she'd been 21 years old for six days, and. Mm-hmm you know, she had been diagnosed with major mental health issues. She had been on every medication, I think, known to man. And, you know, the piece that people didn't really acknowledge was many of those medications had terrible side effects,
3: Mm. uh,
10: you know, that were unmanageable for her. And, you know, she, she said, I'm not me anymore. The medication makes me feel like I'm not me anymore. And at the same time, my frustration was, Uh, you know, I felt that nobody was really dealing with the deeper issues of Mm. the things that she had been through. She had been, you know, exposed to a tremendous amount of trauma. She had been abused. Mm. Um, And again, that brings me sort of back to that idea of the soul, that the deepest part of her hurt so incredibly badly. And and for her, all the medication did was make her feel nothing.
3: Mm. But it didn't make her feel
10: better. Right. It, It didn't bring her any sense of peace or healing mm-hmm. or forgiveness or meaning it just made her feel nothing mm-hmm. um, and so you know I do worry that we're so quick to you know offer prescriptions which again I want to be very clear for some people those medications are life saving mm-hmm. you know so I, I don't want to see the pendulum swing to the other side where where we're not doing that at all
0: mm, that's why um, I was I saying I, complimentary in that sense yeah. yeah there has to be some kind of um you know hand in hand with uh, medication but not just ultimately one or the other
10: that's right i mm. agree with you mm.
0: anyway it's been a pleasure sarah speaking to you this afternoon on the drive time show thank you for spending some time with us
10: thank you so much for having me
0: thank you thank have you. a good day yep bye bye Oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. uh as we're reaching the end of the show Um, So, in terms of, uh, you know, I think earlier on, Imran, you were talking about Islam. Right. Um, uh, You know, just to add on to that, uh, regarding, uh, you know, mental health issues, Mm -hmm. uh, the head, His Holiness, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Muslim Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, uh, stated, those who do not take mental health issues seriously are gravely ignorant. Those who develop depression or any other mental health issue or those children or adults who are diagnosed as autistic, they should be given appropriate help and treatment. We should take care of them. Whatever possible treatment is available, that should be utilized. You should also compassionately care for their feelings and emotions. Those who do not do so are very much ignorant. And you know these words resonate in terms of how to deal with grief right. yeah as right. well right
1: yeah absolutely i mean uh, grief is completely you know um an individual um uh, that there there is no limit or time of grief or a certain cure for healing and people who are um, bereaved can sometimes feel pressure from those around them to you know move on but it is important to recognize their grief um, and you know it takes time and it's not a, a linear process, mm. so obviously um, um if you talk about you know religion uh, you know when I was searching on this topic i co- come across that you know um the top two reasons for committing suicide is um, um you know um <coughs> a lack of a lack of hope and um lack of you know why you here and mm-hmm. uh, help uh, hopelessness mm-hmm. and aim a- and a sense of belonging to someone mm-hmm. and if you Look towards the religion, uh, I think all of these factors religion provides you. it mm-hmm. gives you the purpose of the life, mm-hmm. it gives you the hope and it gives you the sense of uh, no you know uh, uh, belonging to someone mm-hmm. and as as you mentioned previously that we are fortunate to 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 um, to live in a community as MD Muslim community to have over uh worldwide world ha- uh, head of MD Muslim community and we have the setup um uh, where we can discuss you know and when where we can uh, really discuss with the peop- with people and where we you know um can share our uh, certain concern in life and obviously mm. the worries
0: mm-hmm. i mean and you know uh if i can just paraphrase the words of the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him mm-hmm. he taught us a beautiful prayer uh for times of difficulty Uh, And translated it says If any servant of Allah who suffers a calamity says We belong to Allah and to him shall we return O Allah reward me for my affliction And give me something better than it in exchange for it Allah will give him reward for his affliction And would give him something better than it in exchange And I suppose this goes to the thought uh, uh, Imran That Mm -hmm. you know Allah In Islam, we believe that Allah does not burden the soul beyond its limits. Absolutely. And, you know, we look at this life uh, as being, this life on earth as being uh, a temporary one. And that, you know, everything that we, you know, every trial and tribulation, every joy uh, that we have here is but a foretaste of what we will experience in the hereafter
1: absolutely i mean you um well put there and uh, what can i say uh, in regarding this is that you know, indeed, with Allah's remembrance, heart finds the comfort. So if you're feeling low in your life or you're feeling depressed, so try to, uh, try to you know, uh, give a chance to religion as well. Mm. And let's see what can, you know, it, it whether it can bring peace in you or not. Mm,
0: exactly. Yeah. Well, with that, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, a big thank you, a big call out to our producers, Hafia uh, Zafir, Fahana Khan and uh, Sayeda Tahit Tadia Hassan, as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our three producers for our show today uh, Zishan, uh, our, our resident uh, engineer, and my fellow uh, co host, Imran. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show this Monday. Thank Here's you. the six o'clock news.